0: Expanding our knowledge through those amongst us is a privilege we take for granted. Join me, as we explore the minds of our fellow beings to unlock their knowledge for ourselves. Greetings fellow travelers and storytellers! Welcome to another special entry of the Arthenian Anthology's podcast. In this episode, I have Tyler Swires on, a friend of mine from high school that began with me the journey into tabletop role-playing games. Listen to us recall our adventures together in the Star Wars universe, his D&D homebrew, and his current campaign, while also providing possible insights into the hobby that is tabletop RPGs. Now, without further ado, let's begin. Hello. Uh... Tyler Swires is here as a guest star in the Arthurian Anthologies podcast. He has been a good friend of mine since sophomore year of high school.
1: Yeah, yeah, about that time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that's probably around like seven years now that we've been friends. Long time. Yeah, <laughs> in, in our in our lifespan. But um, let's hear a little bit about you, Tyler. What um, is behind the Swires? mentality.
1: Well, I'm a creator and a storyteller. Uh, I've been DMing for Dungeons and Dragons for a pretty decent amount of time, probably about five years or so now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you were kind of the the progenitors of this whole little adventure, this whole little... Uh,
0: yeah, um the, our first experience was with D d four E. Yeah. And that was with Mateus' campaign. Yeah. And um I remember we used to go over to uh it was Aaron's house, Aaron Wilson's house, my brother my brother's friend. Mm-hmm. Um and we would play D and D and we didn't really know what we were doing at that point too I no clue we were having a blast <laughs> yeah sure. and then what got us really into it was when you got fnd force and destiny yep and we were really into the star wars uh tab- uh not tabletop but
1: just the universe uh, yeah. in general well
0: yeah that yeah. and also the mmo old republic mm-hmm. we had been role playing on there for some time now Yep. and um if you hear a dog in the background, it's Tyler's dog. Hi, hi, Sora. Do you do you want to do you want to say hi?
1: Okay, no, she doesn't want to say. Okay, hi. she doesn't want to say hi.
0: Right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we we played F and D, and that was how long of a campaign was that?
1: I think that ran for at least a year, right? At least
0: at least a year, yeah. Maybe two. I remember we were really overpowered kind of broken yeah um
1: you guys have leveled up quite a bit. and i just
0: recently that. found the character sheets too
1: yeah <laughs> those were chunky
0: yeah yeah um but in that in that campaign it was it was all about uh our characters i th- I think it was mainly um my brother daniel his character his character was named james and then my um my character's name was uh kai's loafing and we we both had this weird kind of uh conflict between each other because my character was kind of like a rogue a rogue force user who was dabbling a little bit into the dark side whereas james was a little bit more um like a prodigy my my brother liked making his characters like they're super powerful yeah he did like that <laughs> he still does he still does yes um yeah we'll get we'll get to that to that inside um your your campaign your campaign that you're running currently i know how how that's going that that's not
1: yeah that, <laughs> that campaign might be over soon oh it
0: tpk maybe possibly oh it's,
1: it's uh we'll see what happens yeah
0: um but Force and Destiny, what kind of like brought on the whole, your whole aspect of, of building that whole storyline when when we uh, went through Star Wars and and kind of when you first started GMing? Like you, you this was your first time like GMing any kind yeah. of tabletop RPG. I was kind
1: of just, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I didn't have any experience with any of that stuff at that point. And I was just kind of figuring it out as i went um that's kind of actually how i developed my current style as a dm today is just through the experimentation that i went through i remember you guys probably remember i was doing like a different thing every session yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) that was that was probably like some of the best best times especially when when we went into uh my, my brother daniel's uh backstory Mm -hmm. that was one of the best because like mandalorians came down and we were on uh anderon right and and uh they came down and attacked the village but but daniel's character is like this like a part i if anyone has seen the clone wars series i'm pretty sure tyler took took a little bit from that a little bit um and like uh the What, what was it the um the background of of Onderon is that there's like this uh, a royal, royal royal bloodline.
1: Yeah. So the 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 background of the Onderon royal family was pretty much directly facelifted off of uh, Knights of the Old Republic too. Ah yes. Yeah. Uh, I actually I used a lot of inspiration from the Clone Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and Knights of the Old Republic Two to kind of craft the lore. Yeah. That's, that's what I based most of the central lore in that of the star wars universe on even though there's a lot more than that you know there's like all the yeah the expanded universe stuff and all of that but um those were the three main things that i kind of used just because they're fresh in my mind um but then yeah so my, my main process with that campaign was usually just kind of i would take those elements those story elements from currently existing Star Wars material and then I would think like okay well how can I take like Onderon, right? And we know that there's the Royal Family on Onderon and then I know also from that same game there's Mandalorians that live on the moon of Duxon. So yeah. like how can I how can I just take that and turn it into like a little story of my own? And that's kind of how I would make all of the little the stories for you guys. And that
0: that was, was pretty that was pretty crazy uh, <laughs> when when we had to fight the Mandalorians and then Oh yeah. uh Alan's character stabbing, stabbing a freaking his stabbing light, his lightsaber light saber lightsaber into a box of. A box of
1: oh my not gosh! The greatest, not the greatest plan. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: the craziest things that like players do in campaigns. Oh my gosh! Yep. Uh. Players are their
1: own worst enemy. A lot of the time, I find. Yes. Uh.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, force and destiny. That that ins- that's what inspired me to start creating. Um, Re- Reborn in power, but. Then it was Power of Botonic, and I remember you first played it. Um, geez, that was five years ago now. Yeah. And um and yeah, it's it's grown. You you have the chosen codex over there. I uh, do. I don't know how far you how far you've gotten into it.
1: I'm working away at it. Yeah. It's a, this is a thick volume. Yeah. It's quite the tome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh. So with, with that and D and D. We we moved on to D D five e, I think, probably like six or like six months after uh, F and D. We we started playing our our first D D campaign. Uh huh. Um. After a few like you sure know, I think
1: Daniel was the DM. Fan, oh yeah. Right? For
0: first oh, yeah. it was it was Daniel, my I was, my brother. I was sick
1: of it at that point. I didn't even. Yeah, play.
0: you were like, I don't want to be a GM anymore. I that was... to play the damn game. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, we were doing the Tiamat uh, storyline, right? Yep. That was, the, but... um,
1: Tyranny of Dragons. We never made it to Rise of Tiamat. Yeah, we unfortunately, didn't. Unfortunately, yeah. that's a lot of campaigns go. It died out, but
0: yeah, yeah. But that one was, uh, that one was interesting. I remember I had Sir Gallim on in that one, and you were, uh, you had switched your character. I believe you started off with, uh... I forget who you started off as. <laughs> I know you I know you I know you end up some, becoming an an awesome-ar.
1: Some weeaboo shit, but then we lost our character sheets and we were like, okay, let's retcon it and make new characters and say we'd been these characters yeah. all the whole time.
0: And you were an Osamar That's um, when I actually Tempest I made, Cleric, right?
1: Yeah, that's when I made uh Ari. Ari was a female Oh yeah and yeah and now you use Tempest Ari in, in all your campaigns. I do, yeah. <laughs> She's an NPC in every campaign that I that I DM for now. That's good. Um yeah. One of my favorites. I, I
0: do like using uh, characters that I've made inside my campaigns as well. Mm-hmm. It allows for you to like just know the, like the backstory of the character yeah. and being able to just implement them into the story and allow like plot development to surround them.
1: They're good for when you kind of just need like when you need to pull an NPC out of your ass. Yeah. But you still want it to be like fleshed out and like a real character and not just like this is Bob the the Bob. Yes. Man. <laughs> He's a he's a bartender. Uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's
0: yeah. Um but when when it came to that campaign, our our D five E campaign, um you had homebrewed your own world. Mm-hmm. And I remember like it wasn't it wasn't all fleshed out yet. You you were starting off with like a feudal Japan kind of style. Kind of the test run. Yeah. Um and that was like our, our, our full first campaign. Mm-hmm. It was incredible all the things that we went through. Yeah. Um and that was when I played Torin, who was uh, a mystic. Um that was in the unearthed arcana version of the mystic, and that was not it was pretty broken. It was,
1: it was really it was broken. Very
0: broken. And then um and then Daniel was playing a, a a ranger
1: yeah um he was also using the unearth arcana Re- revised ranger which is also very broken <laughs> yeah yeah
0: um but damn the, all all the things that we went through in that campaign because he 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 daniel had based his character off of the dothraki in game of thrones mm-hmm. and so he wanted his character to not even know how to speak common
1: was, at the start we learned that very quickly was was Fun in idea, but not very fun in practice. Yes,
0: <laughs> and then he had to he had to get like a tiara, yeah, to wear.
1: I immediately after one session of it, you're like, like, "Fuck, fuck that!" Here's a magic item that lets you understand languages.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and um, that was pretty funny because throughout that, Daniel's character was just like a, a straight up savage, and then I was like, like supposed to be the civilized person that. <laughs> Was also kind of just like a, um, he was just not, not the best person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I I'm pretty sure I, I was a chaotic neutral at the start of that campaign, and then I started to gain a little bit more of like a, a morality, mm-hmm. um, and then that was when um, Hapkiri. Yeah, showed up. So let's hear, let's talk about Habakiri, because I never got to I never got to learn about
1: <laughs> about what he was really what he
0: was of. really capable of. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so let's let's first like describe what Habakiri is. So
1: Habakiri, for the the world that I had created, um, like you said already, it was sort of a feudal Japan kind of deal. Um, that was the inspiration behind it. I kind of created this little. I thought, basically, the inspiration for it was, it was like a seasonal Japan. Yeah. Because the Japanese are very, very seasonal people. They're very into like their seasons, are four distinct seasons. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if like, we had like, four islands and each one kind of had its own season or element that it kind of dealt with. And so we had like the fire, water, earth and air oh yeah and that's um, where the
0: primordial like all, all, all yeah, the lore from that and then came so from.
1: basically the the lore behind it in the world was that the primordial planes essentially this is the spot on the material plane where they converged and so they created this sort of just primordial soup of like elemental energy hmm. and then wow. the original people that had lived in that in that land in this this series of island chains um had sort of harnessed this elemental energy and created sort of almost kind of similar to Manifest Zones in Eberron, which yeah. are like the places where the planes spill over and you can kind of harness that energy to create crazy cool um, contraptions, I guess. Yeah. And so they had all created these like super elemental palaces that... Oh, yeah, so, I remember. Yeah, like the, and each of, one had its those. own theme. There was, yeah. like, the Volcano Palace, which is literally built inside of the volcano. There yeah. was the Floating Palace of the Air Domain. Yeah. You know, And then there was the one that you guys made your home base. Was the was the, the water one. The water yeah, palace, yeah. The Ishikawa family. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, and Ishikawa.
1: They, <laughs> their water temple, I guess, their water palace, yeah. sort of in the middle of a lake. And the water itself was so turbulent and and rocky and whatnot that it was just impossible to swim or take a boat across. So they had this sort of like magical bridge that they could raise or lower into the water.
0: Yeah. I remember that. I, I always imagined it like, as I was like, this like blue lining of like, just like a, like a blue shield kind of going out yeah. towards the palace. As we walk across like these, like, like just crazy wave, like, uh, like kind of like trench area.
1: Yeah. That was, that was the idea. Um, And so it just kind of,
0: but yeah, um, Habakiri.
1: That's right. That's how we we got (laughs) on. Habakiri, um, was in this world, the sword of a God. And this God had, had once been a mortal, uh, sort of like a mortal hero becomes a god kind of a deal so he was one of these kinakutins which is the name of the the feudal japanese land and he basically he was this just mortal hero who had a legendary sword forged for him and then defeated a great evil and became a god because of it classic japanese folktale basically Yeah. yeah um and uh I took the names actually the name of this hero directly from Japanese mythology is Susanoo.
0: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah,
1: I remember, but, uh, everything else about him was not Susanoo from the folklore. It was just the name that I stole.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, you gotta do that as at at times you're just like, what name should I use? And then you're just like, okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you being the DM is just stealing things from other DMs. Yeah. And then making them your own. Um, but yeah and so habakiri was essentially this legendary sword that had once belonged to a god and i i kind of i really really like the idea of magic weapons or items that sort of scale with you that level up with you and gain more abilities as you get stronger um so habakiri was one of those items sort of similar to matt mercer's um vestiges of divergence in his in his world uh And Habakiri was kind of similar to that, but with a little bit more attached. Instead of three levels, there was like five levels of advancement Yeah, um, with varying levels of power. That way I could give it to you a little bit earlier on. And so I think you remember basically like it did extra lightning damage, but the part you didn't get to is eventually you could like, there's a spell called Storm Sphere in the elemental one. um, And I think it's in Volos as well but or not polos uh xanathars but basically it creates like a, a ball of lightning around you that just like does damage as bonus action like lightning damage shoots out like difficult terrain shit for people gives you like the sword would have given you immunity to lightning and thunder damage yeah a fly speed i'm pretty sure
0: i got immunity
1: to, to I th- lightning i think you got yeah. lightning yeah yeah um it would have given you like a fly speed of 60 feet oh oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah um Basically, it would have just made you like a lightning warrior by the end.
0: Yeah, dang. But, oh then we got TPK'd.
1: Yep, yeah, a TPK did happen in that game, and it was under very unfortunate circumstances.
0: Yeah. Thing. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But damn, that that would have been cool if if I was able to unlock that. Yeah, Torin was a was a, was a mystic, but he then became kind of. He, he he changed once once Habakiri kind of was able to speak to him, and he was able to like get some kind of insight from from this from the sword, mm-hmm. um, from the sentient sword, and it it allowed him to grow as a character. And then once Daniel's character died, um, to, uh, what was his his name?
1: Joker. Joker.
0: Joker. Yeah. yeah. Joker uh, had died right in front. Actually, not right in front of Torin. Torin had died right in front of Jokar, and then Jokar died after that. And then we got re- we got resurrected. Everyone got resurrected except for Jokar. Yeah, Jokar was the one that failed. Well, but but <laughs>
1: yeah, but there was a uh, Jokar actually wasn't even going to die. In the first place he wasn't like on the verge of yeah. death but he drank this potion uh, and the potion is what killed him but it didn't actually kill but him the
0: potion is what caught what, he was going to become
1: a blood hunter a blood hunter yeah that was his idea is his character idea which he didn't really want the rest of the party to know at the time yeah it to be kind of a dramatic reveal yeah um, was he was gonna drink this potion and then it was going to quote unquote kill him. So everyone else thought he was dead in the party, and he made a new character and everything. And then um, he uh, he was gonna basically come back, write the second the new character out, and kind of retire that character, and then have his original one come back as a blood hunter. So him and I were actually running. That would have been
0: so cool. We were running
1: a bunch of solo sessions, actually, one on one. After Drokar had come back to life with his yeah. Blood Hunter powers and leveling up his his class levels and Blood Hunter That's in those so solo depressing. sessions, and he had actually learned quite a bit about what was going on, and so he was gonna gonna be your knowledge resource when he came back and like tell you guys all of those like missing pieces you guys couldn't figure out those yeah. missing pieces of the puzzle that you guys were like. What is this, and why is this person doing this? Why is the villain the villain? Like, yeah. what, you know, <laughs> yeah, and he was gonna kind of show up, save your guys' asses from one of the bad guys, and then tell you what was going on. Damn. Um, but yeah, we never got to that because the TPK ended up happening before that. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then and then right after that, you started your Everon campaign.
1: Yeah, I don't know how long. How
0: long? Like, well, I started. You. No,
1: I started my uh my Taldori campaign after that.
0: Oh yeah, Tal'Dorei campaign now. Yeah. W- weren't you already doing it i'm pretty sure you were doing it at that point i think i was yeah i think i
1: started it about halfway through your guys's yeah uh kinakuta yeah because
0: because i remember that uh we were we were doing it and and they were and they were they were so lower level than us uh-huh. and so like you were like oh to to your other group oh uh you haven't faced the shit that i've thrown at at yeah. them yet and, yeah, and then now some crazy shit like, yeah. I think
1: one of those encounters was like an ancient red dragon and like two gith Yankee. Knights. oh yeah guess, that like, was four freaking people
0: oh uh-huh. and then i remember uh torrid freaking stabbed the dragon in in the freaking mouth and then like tore tore out its head and then and then went with the gith
1: to yeah. uh oh your your team was not happy about that one yeah <laughs> that was
0: that was pretty that was that was pretty uh... good
1: Yeah, for for explanation there, Torin had telepathy because he was a mystic. And so he was communicating with the Gith, trying to get him to take Torin back to the Gith's leader. Who the Gith were sort of the main villains there at the time. And so he didn't really tell his teammates because all of this was happening telepathically. So they just saw him teleport away with the bad guy (laughs) and thought that he had betrayed them. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs)
0: yeah and and also it didn't help that Dan- daniel's character was was brand new to the party so and and he was also a, a wizard yeah so who was who was pretty smart
1: and he was just kind of like what the fuck yeah it was just like <laughs> really? just like, what
0: the fuck didn't know anything about me yeah <laughs> and then uh and then alberto's character oh remember when he almost like he, he got like messed up from the library that we went to
1: Yeah. He just went insane yeah wow they tried to read some forbidden knowledge in an ancient library, and uh, one of them didn't didn't come out unscathed. from yeah. that experience.
0: Dang, I remember Alberto. Alberto had like four
1: characters. Yeah, he, throughout that campaign. He had a habit of dying. Yeah, <laughs> he was just really unlucky. He would fail his death saves. Sometimes he would just make poor decisions. Yeah, that no, that was um,
0: that was horrible. Yeah. yeah, but um, let's move on from there to, um, your current D&D campaign in Eberron. Um, this has been, this has been going on for a
1: few months now. I think we started uh,
0: since COVID started
1: somewhere. I think a little bit before COVID. So probably almost a year.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow, That's, that's pretty good. And, uh, what they're only level five, right?
1: Correct. They're only level five. I've been pacing this one really slowly.
0: Because of Eberron.
1: Because, you know, for those of you that don't know, Eberron is sort of, as Keith Baker, the creator of Eberron, likes to say, it's sort of wide magic, but not high magic. So magic is everywhere, and it's a big integral part of the society, but it's it's not powerful magic. It's not, like, crazy shit, you know? It's just kind of, yeah, the bartender uses a ring that can chill drinks when he hands them to people. It's a magic ring that chills drinks or you know like just that's really cool. simple mundane stuff but they use grab magic
0: grabs the glass and it's just like Shh. Mm-hmm. here you go
1: yeah it's, it's pretty <laughs> sick um there's a lot of cool applications uh of that and you can go there's like reddit it, it almost it
0: almost feels feels like um like our modern day society of how like technology has advanced us so kind far of, yeah so that that's... that it has gotten to a point where we are so it's just mundane things that we don't we take for granted how how great we have it and it's just like oh you yeah. know instead of instead of having to look on at a, like, at a map we wonders. have we yeah. have gps on our phone yeah but, but yeah, it's just
1: normal to us it's yeah. it's standard it's procedure magic yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah and that's kind of the idea of ebron right it's like it's instead of technology they have magic but the magic is supposed to kind of be and sort of like a parallel yeah. to technology in our world and yeah. so it's it's kind of like anytime something would advance technologically in our world in eberron you kind of have to think okay well how would this evolve magically yeah how would they find a magical way to do this kind of thing
0: yeah that's that that's an interesting like kind of like trying to trying to compare the compared it to, to yeah technology and magic and that confuses people
1: a lot because a lot of people tend to can they tend to conflate them yeah with their eberron games and that's one of the main things because i read keith baker's blog on his website and so i've i've read all of his his ideas about eberron and one of the main things i see a lot of people do is they'll they'll kind of like think of this they they think that eberron is like a steampunk almost where it's like technology and magic fused but it's it's that's not usually the intention i mean if that's how you want to run your eberron like go ahead but I don't. I don't personally think that that's the intention. I think it's more of like just magic, on itself. Yeah. You know, just like purely like oh well, we just in we fused an elemental into this ship and then we drew arcane runes on it so it flies like boom airship. It's not like technology really. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, it's a really fun campaign setting. Um, they've been kind of doing like a, around the world in 80 days kind of thing, around Eberron in 80 days kind of thing right yeah. now. They've just been going to all the different places. Wow. They yeah. don't really want to stay in one spot. Uh, and I've been giving them pretty full free reign. We've been doing kind of almost sandboxy, but with like a loosely threaded narrative so yeah. far that connects everything. Um, one thing I would recommend for an Eberron game is to make sure you use the group patrons function that they added in that uh um, in the new 5e Edron, yeah it's just it, it makes things so much it, easier
0: yeah because because at the start of every campaign it's it's hard for players to get to get to working together i i i find it that yeah. like difficult especially like for for players who are who are just like oh no my character wouldn't wouldn't go with these people because that's just not how how he would he would act
1: yeah it's like that is an issue that tends to to come up uh and the the best way i found around that is to just kind of make sure that all of your players understand the mindset that this is a game that we're playing together yeah and like don't don't make a character that isn't gonna work with the group <laughs> you yeah know, like don't yeah. don't purposely make a character that's gonna not unless, unless you're run,
0: unless you're running like an evil campaign where it, it, like every character is like evil
1: yeah <laughs> i'm in that case i guess it could make sense to have that kind of character but you still have but to yeah provide you provide ha- some... with sort of narrative threads that allow him to link you to yeah. the party in some kind of narrative way yeah that way it's not like you're just kind of there and your character doesn't really have any motivation to be there
0: yeah then um,
1: it's like at the very least just be friends in character with the other characters like say my character grew up with this other character and he's friends with him that's why he's here yeah. like it's that easy you just just throw something throw your bone throw your dm a bone like don't make him do all the work because it's such a pain in the ass when the players just expect the dm to like think of clever ways why every single one of the characters yeah, is we're, related to we're, each other we're already and, like, doing
0: so much behind the screen yeah like, that, exactly. that's just like, an, another thing that just like picks at our brain
1: there's so much that the dm already has to deal with we don't want to deal with your backstory <laughs> yeah that's for you to figure out
0: yeah
1: um yeah
0: uh currently in, in my uh in my D anD D campaign which i'm playing tonight um we have we're i'm level i am one level ahead of them because i started out I, I started out my character a, l- a little bit like higher level than them um just because I, I know how to play a little bit better my my dm allowed me to do that sort of
1: the guide character yeah and
0: then um and then everyone else kind of started off at level three i started off at level five okay and, um now they're a level behind me so they kind of like caught up a little bit um but I'm level se- we're, we're, I'm level seven he- they're level six and we are um we're inside my my dm's uh homebrewed world mm-hmm. called destacarn and uh we are currently in the process of trying to find this um this lady for this weird shadow demon god person uh we call him psalm he didn't give us a name and and he uh his uh when we when we met him uh we had we were about to die by the hand of a powerful like sorcerer and um and then he he took us away and basically he gave us this gift which is this thing called the echo and it is a um it basically allows us to uh, recall memories that aren't our own, and and all of us kind of like together are able to recall this memory, like as our as our group. And um, there's a lot of like cool things, cool cool aspects inside this. That's just a cool concept, this. honestly. I, yeah,
1: I really like that that concept. Yeah, like being able to just kind of insert memories into the party. Yeah, and like it, all, it it helps it helps
0: with like being able to tell lore. Yeah, you know, I I find it that yeah. like, but really also sometimes sometimes it's just like big info dumps when you're just like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But. Let's move on to your D D campaign.
1: Okay.
0: And um, your current one. Is, right now about to. It, possibly experience with tpk i'm not sure exactly the the details of how you're going to deus ex machina this shit
1: you're like i don't know (laughs) i'm not sure i kind of i
0: you you've you've wasted all of your deus ex machinas
1: yeah i don't want to just keep kind of ham fisting deus exes in there like yeah at this point
0: whoever survives survives
1: just yeah it's kind of just ride or die yeah. So basically, what's going on right now is uh, the players. They are, they were up against this. There's a sect.
0: Oh, sorry. I, I I was I paused it and I I saw that you can only record for thirty minutes in a web browser.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. It does say right there. That's why. The well, recording got cut off.
0: Well, screw you. Yeah. Anchor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways,
1: <laughs> uh, so the players they have been facing off against this sect of uh, there's a religion called the Silver Flame in Eberron. Yeah, and one of the the sort of sects of that religion is a extremist cult called the Pure Flame, and they're uh, they're the remnants of a lycanthropic outbreak that happened about like a hundred or so years ago in the world. Yeah. Uh, where it was just, it was horrible, right? The lycanthropes, it was werewolves and were rats mostly that were just causing havoc in uh, the, the Eldine reaches and the Ond- Ondarian uh-huh. area. So the Templars, the Silver Flame warriors, I guess, which, to clarify, are not all paladins. They're mostly just regular soldiers, but some some of them are paladins. Being,
0: being, being a Silver Flame paladin, yeah. that sounds like pretty cool gig yeah go 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 and fight off some werewolves
1: pretty nice well (laughs) the werewolf fighting part probably kind of sucks but yeah yeah no
0: it doesn't (laughs) um yeah so basically
1: the were the were rats and the werewolves they were like sneaking into the cities they were fostering distrust specifically between there's a there's a race in ebron called the shifters oh yeah and the shifters are not related to the lycanthropes at least not definitively there's a possibility they might be ancestrally related but
0: shifters aren't changelings right no
1: shifters are the beast the beast men
0: oh okay okay
1: yeah shifters are they they're, they're called shifters because they change kind of in a like a more bestial form and then they can change back oh down, yeah i remember when i, when I was
0: making my character i was like thinking like oh what if i want to be a shifter yeah and, and like that was between that and the cow yeah
1: yeah are one of my favorite races yeah. in, in the eberron world but um so the shifters right they they kind of had all of this distrust fostered by the were rats who specifically were trying to make because the shifters hate lycanthropes the shifters could have been allies to the humans but the the lycanthropes kind of made the humans distrust the shifters making them think that they were also lycanthropes or just as bad as lycanthropes you know yeah framing them for things and so basically they just kind of turned those two groups against each other and then they just wreaked havoc on both. That was their plan there. And so the result of that is that a hundred years later, right? This, the sect of the silver flame that emerged from that area where that happened has become very extremist, very anti shifter, very, very, um, terror based. Right. And the, the silver flame is all about fighting evil. Yeah. The pure flame defines evil a little bit more uh loosely yeah than the regular church does right whereas the silver flame is a little bit more lenient they're just kind of like well if it's undead kill it otherwise like we'll figure it out the pure flame is kind of like if it's not human kill it it's evil so they're kind of <laughs> they're kind of zealots in okay that aspect. yeah
0: um right having religious zealots inside yeah that that
1: that, all, that usually tends so to that's be. that's been it's, Basically, there's this this man who has worked his way up in the ranks of the pure flame. His name is Alistair. And he's been kinda pulling the strings. He's kinda on... like the main villain of your campaign. He's, he's been the kinda supposed their main, main, villain. main villain. Yeah, <laughs> he's been their main villain. So Alistair has these two bodyguards that follow him around. And the bodyguards have these weird, like tiger looking face tattoos, black stripes and like yellow cat eyes. Um and these two bodyguards are just always with him. Yeah. Alistair himself is a pretty powerful spellcaster. Um, he uses divine magic. And he's been shown to have some pretty pretty powerful spells at his bell. So he's been kind of their recurring villain, right? Eberron is all about having recurring villains that sort of show up over and over again and always seem to narrowly escape, yeah. capture, or death. And so he's kind of been that he's been filling, uh-huh. the, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, very like villain, like serialized, like like, like TV it, show, kinda, yeah, TV show, know. like like yeah, like kid,
0: kids show and animation. That's kind of the vibe I've been
1: going for with this campaign. And so he's been the recurring Team villain. Rocket, blast it off again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot more menacing than Team Rocket, though. yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's uh, he's kind of just been interfering with them everywhere they go. You know, trying to put a wrench in their plans. And they've been doing the same to him. They've been slowly kind of piecing together what he's working on. And they, they figured out that he has been going to these ancient coedal temples. And corrupting the energy there. Um, for some kind of ritual yeah. that he's trying to perform. So they found the place where he's doing the ritual. Um, and everything started to come to a head. With basically the final mission of this story arc. To stop Alistair. So their goal was to stop him from performing the ritual. Um, which he had to do during a, um, a sort of holiday period called the Long Shadows. Yeah. Which is like a three-day period where one of the planes is the, like, the plane of darkness and evil, basically, is coterminous with the world.
0: And it's almost like the, like, the, what's it called? Um, when the planets align, like when the planets align Kinda, and yeah. everything, like you know. Yeah, it's, it's a similar. I just, idea I, to that. I just, I just finished Legend of Korra, and, uh, and it's like, like harmonic convergence. Yeah, harmonic convergence. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a little Probably something. My
1: least favorite part about Korra. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. Finishing that was was kind of a drag for me. Like last night, I was just like, oh my gosh, I just want to get this
1: over with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, basically, this this character, Alistair, yeah. he is doing the ritual, and they teamed up with Karnath, which is a very militant country and long been enemies to Thrain.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and basically, Thaliost is a previously Ondarian city that is now under Thrain control. The Pure Flame is strongest in Thaliost, and the Archbishop of Thaliost is Alistair's ally. That's where the ritual is happening, is in the main temple. Yeah. In that area. Because uh, Alistair has convinced all of these people that he's working for the pure flame, the good of the pure flame, and that he's, you know, doing the Lord's work, and that all of this is for the good of humanity. But in reality, he's just an asshole who's doing this for himself. You know, he's just the villain.
0: He just he just wants wants to get his power back.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure you told me. I did, yeah. That... I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> So basically what, what Matt is referring to is Alistair is actually a fallen angel. And he's doing all of this to try and regain his, I guess, divinity, his angelic power as an as an angel. And so that's where his divine spellcasting comes from, is just that remnant of the power he once held. Um, but yeah, he's, he's an angel. And he's just sort of masquerading around in human form, pretending to be a human and so there's there's sort of one more twist as well on top of that which is that alistair himself is being manipulated by the two bodyguards uh who are rakshasa which i thought was pretty evident from the tiger tattoos and cat eyes but my party didn't pick up on that <laughs> um they also they also when you when you, about, when you
0: like put foreshadowing elements <laughs> throughout the campaign and no one just picks yeah, up no on it and you're just like
1: well, "Wow, oh, well <laughs> guess you will find out later yep yeah and so yeah those those two rakshasa kept talking about how they wanted to eat the players uh they're a limited magic immunity not quite as powerful they're they're zakiya rakshasa so they're they're not quite as powerful as like the monster manual ones that have Spells of sixth level or lower don't affect them. Oh, jeez. They had first level or lower spells don't affect. Them. Yeah, yeah. So a lot, a lot more you, balanced you... to fight a party of level fours. Than yeah. You. Yeah, that makes that makes it a little bit easier, man. Yeah, still not easy, but um, especially when you have two warlocks and their Eldritch Blast is useless. <laughs>
0: it's like I want to go i want to go into a, a campaign inside e- Everon using magic because i because then i could be like oh yeah i'm i'm cool because i use yeah. magic but yeah, warriors, turns out people who are
1: immune to magic fuck yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so basically their mission was to go in they they had a stealth mission to sneak into thaliost and stop the ritual yeah there was going to be a siege Carnathi forces not working with Carnath, of course. They're working independently so as not to draw attention to the crown and start a, a war. Um, but basically Carnathy soldiers who weren't flying the Carnathy banner, just working as independent mercenaries, were gonna stage a bandits like a bandit raid on the city, essentially. It's just a massive bandit raid as cover yeah. for the for the players. And so yeah. the players had their bandit raid ready but they decided they had they had a couple options on how they wanted to sneak into the city one of them was sneaking in a day early and like lying their way in with disguises and fake uh documents to get into the city that was on lockdown that was the option they chose rather than they could have just you know gone in with the bandits or they could have snuck in through the sewers while the bandits were attacking
0: but all those options had had, uh... yeah
1: everything all the different options had their own positives and negatives yeah. right they all have their own drawbacks yeah but the drawback of the one they chose which was sneaking in a day early is that if they got caught they were kind of fucked yeah <laughs> and it was made clear to them that if they got caught doing this one like they're they're in enemy territory their forces aren't coming for another day and they're just they're surrounded so if they get caught like there's really not there much they can be done do for them. uh so they were they chose that still because they have a lot of, they have some sneaky boys and some light lying boys in their party. So they were like, "Yeah, I think we can do this." Got like two warlocks in that party, right? Yeah, two warlocks, a rogue, um, a dex fighter, yeah, sharpshooter, uh, gunslinger. Oh, geez, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a he's an Eric Cocker gunslinger. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, I remember when I when I was in
1: my <laughs> yeah. session that was. He's like one of the. He's pretty much the main DPS. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, he's he he does hella damage. He chunks. <laughs> He's got multi attack. He does like 15 damage per shot. And then
0: it isn't like the gunslinger are using. What gunslinger class are you using, the The, the uh, Matthew Mercer. Yeah, one? the Matt Mercer gunslinger yeah. class. Um, yeah, because uh, like that one, like with the. When they. Not one, it's, it's just a misfire, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, the gun breaks and you have to repair it. Depending on the gun, there's different misfires. Like yeah. I think the sniper has like three, two, or one. It breaks. It jams. Yeah. But, um regardless yeah he's uh he's a gunslinger so they've you know they've got a lot of decks in the party they got a lot of charisma in the party so they're like yeah let's sneak in and lie our way through
0: our strong suit good. yeah this
1: is what we're good at and they actually did really well yeah they snuck in through the main mm-hmm. gates and then they got there's sort of like a central inner gate right inside the city another gate like another set of walls that close off like the nobility yeah area you know the noble upper ward and so they snuck into the upper ward as well. And they're like in there. They got to the, the main temple where the ritual is going to happen. And they got a couple of their objectives to help the bandits, the bandit raid, quote unquote, yeah. to succeed. You know, they disabled some of the siege weaponry on the walls so that it was easier for them to storm the gates. You know, stuff like that. Um, and they were doing really well. And then they got in and uh, <laughs> and then one of their warlocks, <laughs> one of the kobolds, there's two kobold brothers, and one of them is a warlock, one of them's an artificer. And the warlock went with the rogue, because they're going to try and sneak into this temple to steal the supplies, put it all in their bag of holding, and then get out so that they could spend the night somewhere in the, in the upper ward and then get ready for the assault at dawn. Um... On the way in the warlock failed his stealth check and you're like uh i don't don't want to talk about this Yeah, i don't usually like to punish players for bad roles so it's still a failure and so i'm not going to just you know allow it to not be a failed role but i'll i'll usually give a player the opportunity to kind of think their way out of it and and get out of the situation yeah like you know they're about to be caught and so i'll give them like a i gave him like a 10 second like okay the guard looks over and like is now looking in your direction some of the guards fan out and they're trying they're like searching the area to see because they heard something they don't see him because he was invisible he cast yeah. the invisibility spell on himself so they didn't see him but they heard something so they're investigating and i was like okay how, how do you want to try and get out of this situation he thought of something and he got out um but that put him all the way back at the beginning. The rogue continued to sneak. Instead of letting the rogue continue, he decided he was going to try it again to catch up with the rogue, and so they could do it together. Hmm. He failed his check again, <laughs> and so this time I had to be a little bit more harsh with, you know, the guards reacting to him. I still give him the opportunity, but I, I was a little more harsh with with how they reacted to that failure. So this time they found his footprints, you know. And so yeah. I was like, okay, they're, they're searching around now. They saw your footprints. They know you're there, but they still can't see you. How do you want to try and get away? And he decided to try and sneak under one of their legs. <laughs> uh, cause he's invisible. Yeah. He thought, cause I'm they invisible. Can't... I'll just sneak under this guard's legs. Who's actively searching for me, which I mean, it's possible. It wasn't a hundred percent failure chance. It was possible, Yeah, but it also required another role which he also failed. <laughs> yeah. He, he was not rolling very well that like, night. He was no. pretty upset about it. But Magic Man could he yeah. use magic? The uh the guard rolled really well on a perception to spot him and he rolled garbage even with advantage from being invisible. So the guard heard him, reached out, grabbed him, picked him up and was like, "I got him," you know. Yeah. And then things just started going to shit from there. It was just a downward spiral. <laughs> that player sometimes makes some questionable decisions when it comes to
0: yeah to but like, you always have to have one of those players yeah
1: they, they make it interesting yeah yeah and so then and then, he,
0: and then, you, and then it, it's fun for the dm because it it's is. like because oh like, wow
1: what what is what gonna what's gonna oh, happen oh, now <laughs> it, yeah and so he calls out for help he said a little help here of course mm-hmm. immediately the guards go there's more. more of them. Search the search the city. Oh you know, my god. Like, search the area. There's more yeah. around here. Uh, and so the little warlock he breaks free of the guards and he starts sprinting over directly to where his allies are, leads yeah. the guards straight to them. They have to fight. They come out, they fight the guards, they kill like eight of the guards, and then more are coming out to search. Place goes on lockdown because one of them successfully blew his alarm horn. Wow. Uh <laughs> So the players try to escape through the sewers, but But. the sewers is a whole other beast. It's filled with monsters and whatnot. They get pinchered attacked, basically. There's a monster in the sewers that cuts off their escape, and then the guards come in behind them, so now they're in between the guards and the monster. They TPK. They go down. Um, But fortunately, the guards captured them. The guards didn't just kill them outright, you know? They captured them.
0: So they get get
1: dragged in. Hollister straight to alistair and alistair completes the ritual alistair wasn't supposed to complete the ritual but i mean it was possible so now things are a little more difficult because the ritual was basically the the two rakshasa bodyguards were manipulating alistair into doing this ritual the whole time they told him that they worshipped alistair like a god because alistair is very egotistical and arrogant so he believed that yeah um, and that they were doing this to help him because they believed he was a god. It was not the case. They were manipulating Alistair to do this ritual yeah. because he was the only one with the power to do it. And it was actually a ritual to weaken the bonds that bind Bel Shalor, one of the demon overlords in Kyber. Um, and so <laughs> that basically, this sort of shadowy aspect succeeded in
0: resurrecting
1: (laughs) yeah this this shadowy aspect that represents sort of some of the semi-sentience of belshaylor it's not a full avatar of belshaylor yet but it's sort of the beginning of that he is the shadow in the flame he is you know the betrayer the liar the schemer yeah and so he's essentially the father of rakshasas and now there's this sort of shadow monster that yeah. is like semi sentient and is just kind of the the will of shalor Just kind of represents his murderous betrayal and murderous intent and whatnot. And so now it's kinda of, sort of running amok. And the Rakshasa now have to kind of guide it to where they need it to go to become a full fully realized avatar of shalor you know. Yeah. Like actually releasing the demon overlords. So that's the next step. And whether or not they tpk is determined on whether or not they can defeat these rakshasa and and stop so that's
0: where they're left they left off where they are
1: left off yeah with that thing escaping and and they're going to be facing the rakshasa no the rakshasa left with it okay but they have to find them now they have to track them down in time otherwise because if bel is released and the, an avatar is released i have the stats for it just in case I the entire world is done an know. avatar Bell Shailor, but it's over there's no one in the world that it well there's no one in corvair the continent they're on that is currently capable of fighting anything like that it's it's like a cr26 they're level five it's like he's uh, a demon overlord yeah he's, <laughs> he's like on the level of like a lesser god like yeah he's, he's
0: insane um <laughs> Mean giving them as many chances as you
1: can yeah so they'll have a chance but it'll it'll definitely be difficult and there's a chance that with poor roles there could be a tpk coming up soon so we'll see we'll, we'll see how that goes
0: let me know how how that goes um, yeah because i mean i had a character in it and you know i wanted to come back
1: yeah uh, your guest star
0: yeah but if they're dead, I can't come back. Um, but wow, that that's crazy. Yeah. Um. Dang, yeah, my uh, my campaign, my my reborn and power campaign. Uh, it, I thought it was gonna get to a point like like that. It almost got to a point like that, mm-hmm. but they were able to get out of it and um I, I do throw them a bone every now and then
1: yeah because the game is about having fun yeah not... and
0: plus plus uh like reborn since reborn power is like a brand new kind of system like it's all like a learning experience mm-hmm. not just for not just for them but for me it's it's to yeah. allow allow for
1: very um... easy to just kind of make challenges that you didn't realize were too difficult yeah. especially when you're experimenting with a new system yeah that's It's definitely a a necessary thing to kind of be able to improvise on the fly and and throw your players that bone because nobody wants, nobody's going to have fun if it's like, this is completely unfair and there's no way we ever could have done this in a million years. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, they they feel like they're being punished and they're not having fun. And as a DM, you're not having fun because your players aren't having fun. So it's all, it's, you know, it's all about making it an enjoyable experience for everyone at the table.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really excited because uh, my my game now that it's finished I, I can I can start prepping for a new campaign. Yeah. Um, I know I talked to you about about possibly being the the GM for it mm-hmm. um, in the future, um, and we could like we could talk more about more about that. But currently, we're, we're going to be starting back up with you guys playing. You, uh, my brother, and Eli.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, last you guys left off, you guys had gone into a uh, an underground kind of fighting arena and made a
1: shit ton of money. A oh, shit ton of money. We, were, we have just dipped our fingers in every kind of crime we could think of so far. We're just, we're racketeers. Yeah, we're,
0: yeah, and... uh and gamblers were <laughs> now and and during during that campaign i was i was at the end of my playtest campaign for like the like the big one um so now i'm going to have to kind of incorporate what happened there and you guys are going to have a little bit of a time skip because we haven't played for a few months now yeah it's been, um, been like i it. think it's been like two months now but but yeah we're gonna we're going to do a time skip you guys are going to be be allowed to level up and uh kind of incorporate your characters into the new like system that i have built like all, all the all the current updates that i have made and um and also i i i included your character somewhat of your character into my lore yeah um so that that will be fun to kind of like ex- explore into uh backstories and and all of that, uh, I have plans. I have plans, <laughs> and um, that'll be that'll be really fun. Eventually, though, we're we're gonna end up having a reborn and power stream. Yeah. Um, I plan on doing that next year, and I I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a, either a player or the GM, depending on like what what we decide to do mm-hmm. in the near future. But I think that's good for our conversation today. Thank you, Tyler, for joining the podcast. Yeah, it was And fun. hopefully in the future, we can continue and then uh, create a new podcast together um, playing Reborn in Power.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. I thank you for listening to our conversation. Next year in 2021, you may be seeing and hearing from Tyler a bit more as we plan on bringing you a live stream of the Reborn in Power tabletop RPG. As for this podcast, next week I will be moving forward with the final entry in the Exemdur arc, with the legend of Vector. Once again, if you'd like to support me, you can donate to my Subscribestar account, Reborn in Power, or check out my website at ArthanianAnthologies.com. I will be posting this podcast up on Subscribestar and the website, so keep a watchful eye. Until then, be safe, stay safe, and if death comes to you, may you be reborn in power.